Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to episode 128 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvay, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Afternoon. And Treg Wilson. Hello. Uh, so, weekend episode, everyone's, uh, I'm sure, super tired from staying up late and partying last night. Uh, thanks to the big overtime win, well, shootout win, but first win in extra time for the Canadians. And breaking that curse of the reverse retro. So, how's how's how, how was your week, Matt? I was busy. I don't even remember yeah. having a day off. Uh, I was off yesterday. I'm back to work today. So it's much. It's a little bit of a quick turnaround for me. And unfortunately, I'm going to most likely miss the next series. So I'm not really too impressed about that. But other than that, the Canadians picked up a few points against uh, against Vancouver, a team that. Uh, on paper, at least they should be beating. And now that they finished, uh, they finished their nine game stretch with them for the season and they went six Oh and three. So, um, you know, they had some, they had some heartbreaking losses in there, but at least they were able to pick a point out of them. Um, last night for me, last night for me though, um, it was, it was just a, it, it's, it's kind of hard to grade the team. They, at times they were flying and then, you know, the start of the second, the start of the third, it was just, it was flat. It was the tale of two teams. And it was, it was really frustrating to watch, especially the third period. Like they just, they, they lose the lead. They stop skating. And then all of a sudden it's uh, it's Gallagher and his line that just kind of put the team on, on their back. And they were able to, uh, they were able to tie it up and, you know, luckily we were able to get the extra point after all this time and wearing reverse retro jerseys. So it was more of a surprise than anything. Well, seeing as how Matt said, screw this small talk bullshit. I'm just, <laughs> I was just 
I was just going to say, Matt just did our whole show and it was a little, hey, how you doing? And so we'd like to I've, thank I've, everyone for watching. <laughs> As I said, I've, I've, been living at, I've been living at work, so I'm just like, let's just get to the point. <laughs> My week was good, Blaine. I'm done. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a few days off, so, you know, yeah. it was great. So uh, back minor, to... Minor comment, minor comment. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing as how Matt set the tone, let's do this business. Treg, do you have any comments? On my week or on uh, what Matt brought up about the rest of the show? Now screw your week. No one cares. <laughs> no, nobody cares. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. No one does care. Um, uh, Vancouver series. Uh, I just, uh, a lot of people were, were, were uh, saying Vancouver was going to be one of those teams that's going to be fighting. And they are. They're fighting for a playoff spot. They're, you know, they should be fighting for one of the top four. I disagreed. I thought uh, with all the losses that they had to the roster, like Markstrom and Stretcher and uh, a couple guys on D, that they weren't going to be really that relevant. I still don't think they are. I think the numbers are a bit of a shine to them. Um, but Montreal went 6-0-3, as Matt alluded to, which tells me that Montreal could have very easily been 9-0 against Vancouver. Um, the, the heartbreaker the other night, the OT goal, uh, they won in the shootout tonight, uh, and then the other overtime loss in Vancouver, which they did have a lead at the time in the third period, blew it and lost in overtime. So all f- nine games, Montreal should have, could have won the game. Uh, and well, they did six of them and the, the three overtime, three overtime. So that shows to me how, uh, that, that's an, shows to me either two things, how bad Vancouver really is or how good Montreal really is. Uh, let's look at the nine overtime losses that they have. That's nine games against everyone in this league. I thought, I think Edmonton, they didn't go to overtime too, uh, that they could have, they could have beaten on any given night. Uh, so that just shows to me how good this team actually is. They're just missing that little piece to push them over for the North division. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about the rest of the league because we have no idea how they would fare against the rest of the league this year. Um, they just missing that little piece, which we've talked about on many shows uh, of to get them over that edge, to get them into that spot. Uh, and if you look at the playoffs, there's no three on three hockey. It's five on five, which Montreal is showing that they're top, top five team in the league right now, five on five. So Bergevin does his job at the trade deadline or before and gets that little piece that we need, or at least part of that little couple pieces that we probably need. Well, we're going to get into that part soon. I just want to stick on the topic of this overtime. So um, in the last two games, the Canadians went to two back-to-back overtime games. They, they kind of, they missed the boat on the first game where Anderson had that clear breakaway you can tell he wasn't quite set. He put the puck a little bit too far ahead, missed the net completely. And then JT Miller just undresses the Canadians for uh, that overtime win. Um, that was the, that's the kind of luck the Canadians had had in the overtime up to that point where they, I don't know if it was improper player usage or just sheer bad luck or a combination. And I think it's more of a combination because we talked about this at length. I wrote an article about this, how their overtime planning basically was let's put our best defensive players out just to win a draw and tire out the other team and try and take advantage on a line change when it's the Canadians line changes that have been hurting them. So what we saw in the game last night was a departure from that. We saw cut start mostly pro um, my guess is probably because he had a 71% face-off rate in that game. He did, but he was, he was their worst player in, in overtime. But he won the draw. He won the, he won the draw, but his, he, his, he, he gave the puck away multiple times. Like I, I think in that, overtime. Yes. I think he was, I Where? think he was right, right at the start. They had control of the puck for the first four minutes. He let, he let her go. I, I, I yelled, I yelled at the TV a little bit. 
I don't uh, I don't see it quite as bad as you did. Uh, what I, I saw I, was a, a young I'm just guy saying I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm just, he won the face off, but as soon as he got the puck into the zone, he lost. That's all I'm saying. I, like his his usage his usage like I, I was happy to see him on the ice, but I'm not going to give him all the praise in the world. And same thing same thing is in in the shootout. I wouldn't have put him in there over Tatar. But anyway, to finish my point, after his face off win. They kept control for several minutes. He did stay out too long, but they relied on their youth and their skill as opposed to putting out just Byron Dino, Byron Dino, Byron Dino. It was it was definitely different to see. Um, I, I don't definitely don't have a problem with it. They kept possession. Um, the only thing is, is every time that they threw threw it back to Price for a reset. The other the Vancouver got to reset as well, so yeah. But they kept. Well, at least they kept possession. Yeah, at yeah. least they kept possession. So it was it was kind of it was nice to see. It was nice to see Drew out there. He was really moving, and he had a good he had a good scoring chance as well. And that's the uh, that's the kind of Drew that they need moving forward, especially. Um, and we've seen Drew has played that much better under Ducharme, as so is Kukniemi, so is Tatar, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I really like what I saw from Drew last night in the. Uh, in the overtime, and well, if you would have and if you would have buried that, he would have shut a lot of people out. No, I don't think so. I think these haters are just going to maybe, maybe for the night. <laughs> but back to the point on passing it back to Price, I think that's an excellent uh, strategic point in the overtime. They weren't doing that before. They weren't using their goaltender to hold on to that possession. Before they were just taken in deep, like what Kotniemi did that one that one section of. Uh, I think it was the third minute of the overtime. He got stuck in deep, lost the puck, but they got possession back after the line change. But what they had been doing was doing that, just going in deep with the puck and kind of trying to pin it against the boards. And that's a five-on-five strategy. Three-on-three, if you want to keep possession, throw it back to your goaltender. So we saw a nice departure strategically in the three-on-three. And I think using that the skill players using your goaltender to the advantage to hold on to the puck we saw a very very well managed overtime period they didn't score and you mentioned uh Drouin's opportunity where he just dangled it was beautiful to watch um, they almost got daggered at the end though they did that was but, uh, it come it come close i, I was kind of but that's where, that's <laughs> well, where you, you want go, your goalie to make that big save. Absolutely. If you go back to their last three, um, if you go back to their last three overtime games, each game they had a, a chance to win the game yep. early in the yep. overtime. Petrie, absolutely. Anderson, and then Druin. Yep. After each scoring chance, because in overtime, a three-on-three, three, if you're going all in to score that goal, yeah. someone, on Van, someone on the other team is going to be open somewhere. Yep. And it's going to give a, an advantage the other way. Uh, and basically what happened in the first two games is the Vancouver and Calgary just took advantage of those, uh, or sorry, Winnipeg just took advantage of those overtimes and went in and scored or those opportunities went in and scored. Uh, the difference between the Vancouver games was in the first game, Montreal didn't do anything when they started recycling the puck back to their own and JT Miller said himself in the post-game interview, he goes, I wasn't tired. I didn't have to go off because he didn't do anything for the first two and a half minutes. I just stood there watching them throw the puck around to each other yeah. in the neutral zone in their own zone because that's all they did. Vancouver would line up at the blue line. They would start coming in. Vancouver line to the blue line. They just cycle it back to their own end. Start bringing in Vancouver line to the blue line. They'd so they Montreal was doing all the skating while Vancouver defenders were just standing there in overtime going, okay, we're waiting. And then the bad line changed by Byron. Vancouver had the advantage, took the puck. Tatar just doesn't have dis. He's not a defender. He didn't do JT Miller outpowered him. Suzuki, I don't know what he was doing. And then he just went in the score. Um, however, last night was different. You're, you're right, Blaine. They used the goalie. They, you know, they kept Vancouver moving, tried to pressure them into doing a four check. They started coming in. They started work. It's almost like they practiced it instead of just watching it on video. And, uh, you know, they had good opportunities. Uh, Drew, man, that would have been a, that would have been a wonderful goal to see if he would have scored it. Um, 
And then, of course, the shootout. And I don't have an issue with any of the guys he uses in the shootout, to be honest with you. I don't have a Byron. Byron, statistically, for his career, is the better, has the best percentage in shootouts than However, recent play suggests recent that plays, that's not a good choice. Correct. It's it's from earlier years because he was like two for two and three for five. And it's really good. Recently, I don't think he scored one in I don't know how long. but That's been a while. Um, well, going into last night, the only person that had scored was Suzuki. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I don't have, uh, I didn't have an issue with using Cotton Yemi on the shootout. I didn't have an issue, and the reason I don't have an issue is you watch him in practice when they're doing their little whatever. Yep. He's doing up the moves. He's doing up the. He looks good, and uh, so we put him up there. And at this point, and I tweeted to it, so they started with Cotton Yemi and all them. So now he's pretty much started with everyone. There's a, a, a tweet out there that shows the minutes per overtime, and Byron and Rodano are actually in the middle. Everyone thinks that they're always out there, but they're. Um, I see what Ducharme's trying to do. It's just if you don't win the draw, it doesn't work. Yeah, but those that, players that, need to, and then those players need to get off the ice. When correct, they yeah. correct. Like, yeah. like I see what he's trying to do. He's putting Dano and Byron out there. Byron for his speed and overtime. Dano for the faceoff to win the draw. Maybe get their top guys that they have out a little bit tired, so they get off the ice and then switch out. What they did in the first game, that they just won the draw and then played keep away with themselves, uh, which didn't do anything. Um, but I see what he's trying to do with that. It just, Dano wasn't winning the draws, and it just didn't work. So uh, last night we got fortunate, won in the shootout, and it's over. Let's, let's you know. You you knew that to break that, uh, that 0 for 9 uh, overtime curse, it would be an ugly, ugly win. But yeah. uh, the overtime itself looked really good. Mm-hmm. Overall, they had a very good, well-managed overtime period. And in the shootout, I'm sure we could have we could argue until the cows come home. Well, I would have put this guy before this guy, or that guy before that guy. But at the end of the day, Tatar scored that winner, and Price made the save. He made some big saves. Made some big saves. He yeah. he had. Um, uh, he showed up for the overtime and the shootout, but where the hell was he in regulation? Well, I said he had a shitty uh, tweet. He had a shitty game, but showed up in overtime, did his job in overtime shootout. Someone did point out that three of the four goals he was never going to save anyway, regardless of. He was he was screened on a few. One though. was screened, yeah. one was tipped, and one they gave the puck out. He was pretty much standing right in front of Price while he was because it came out from behind the net, so he was down on the on, on the ice. You know, the, and he just had almost a wide open net to put it in. Good point. Yeah, you're right. Like, you, you mean you're looking at four goals on 18 shots is like a what a 778 save percentage or something. So, um, if you just look at the numbers, he had a shitty game. If you break down every goal, which the majority of the people do not do, uh, then you can say, okay, well, he wasn't stopping those. Okay. Sure. However. <laughs> you want him to make one of those saves. Correct. Correct. Just like in the overtime period, he kicked that foot out and made that yeah. one spectacular save to keep them going. That's the kind of, you need him, You need a guy like Price, who is your star player, to step up and make those big saves at the at key moments. No one's saying, hey, you're a failure because he didn't get a shutout. <laughs> you got to make those big key saves. Like If he would have been able to make one of those saves, just one, the uh, the look of the game was completely different. So, even in that minute and a third, if he saves one of those shots in the in the in, the, in that within that first minute of the third, the game's yeah. over. Literally. That's right. That being said, he showed why he's why he's Carey Price in that overtime and in the shootout. It was uh, it was shades of the uh, of Team Canada and the World Juniors because they got to uh, what was it uh, round five thousand. Of the shootout, somewhere thought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was excellent. Yeah. He was excellent in that shootout, and that's that's what you need from Carey Price. So you knew it was going to be an ugly way of winning, but they finally did it, and they did it wearing those blue jerseys, canceling out two curses in one blow, which was impressive. What was even more impressive is that it convinced Treg Wilson to spend money. Yes, over three hundred dollars. On a jersey, yeah. I don't spend. I don't spend money. So, see, last night if they would have lost, it would have been the worst because the curse would have continued. 
the overtime curse would have continued, and we had to listen to Gary Galley. So, <laughs> yeah, uh. <laughs> unless you unless you watch TV, and then you got to sure. to listen to <laughs> over and over again. Like I, I, I don't dislike the TV coverage, but he's he's constantly giving my dog a heart attack every time they take a shot on net <laughs> so mm. i i do i do enjoy tsn 690 with dan robertson i enjoy brian mudrick i enjoy rds with piat hood uh, the rest not so much I mean, I was actually I was a, I was never really a fan of Dave Poolin, but I find him really good this year. Dave, yeah, Robertson no, I've never had a problem with Dave games. Poolin. I, I just, you know, he's very unbiased, very straight down the middle, and you know, Mike Johnson's the same way. I, I really enjoy Mike Johnson with Brian, Brian Mudrick and uh, I, I Brian think, Mudrick. Uh, it's been yeah. on the show, uh, and you know, I think Brian's one of the better play-by-play guys. Yep, for the Habs. <laughs> I think Mike uh, adding Mike Johnson to that, I think is probably the best pairing. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy um, uh, Sergio Momesso with Dan Robertson. Although if I had to choose between Momesso and uh, Johnson, I would go with, I would go with Mike Johnson because Mike Johnson never separated my shoulder. And don't forget about Craig Button either. He does a pretty good job too. He did a good job. I like him more as an analyst than I do as a color guy, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can see that. Now, nothing against you, Craig. Nothing against you. <laughs> we love you, Craig. Don't don't cancel us. <laughs> Come back to the show, please. Uh, you know, so um, I just so we're talking about overtime, we're, and of course the conversation obviously rolls around to other fan bases trolling Montreal saying, hey, you guys keep getting those loser points. But the response to that is, well, if you don't want them to have loser points, beat them in regulation. So suck it, on that. It just goes to show that Montreal's good enough. Montreal's good enough against any team to win the game. Sure, if you got if you got to go to three on three to beat them, then is that on Montreal or is that on the team playing them? Well, it just it, it shows like yeah. it, it shows like you know three on three three on three especially the shootout it's more it's more of a skills competition. So yeah. you give you give you give the teams that have you know you throw out like for instance you throw out a player I'll just throw like I don't know I'll throw Marner out there with the Leafs. You put him out there, no pressure on him, no nothing in a shootout. He's got no defender coming at him. He's got nothing. He can just go in, do what he wants, do his little moves. Yeah, he's probably going to score on you. You know, you do that five on five, you're probably going to get thrown on your head. Three on three is built for the high skilled players to show yeah, off the craft yeah, and, yeah. and overtime. Yeah, uh, it, it's, this, it's it's built for speed and speed and uh, speed and skill. Yeah. Montreal's and, got one of them. Well, I mean, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I guess you could just say, well, maybe Montreal should go out and get some skill. Um, you know, to win an overtime. I think they have skill. They, they do have, have skill. It's just they, they don't do know how skill. to throw put it on the ice. You're right. Uh, but it is. It's made for the McDavid's. It's made for the Tavares's and the or the Matthews and the Marners, the Drysaddles and the, the McDavid's, the Ovechkins and Backstroms, and the you know what I mean, like the, all the guys that can go out there and and do their thing. Um, and this is, I guess, we can segue into the whole should overtime be changed, um, and it should be. First of all, I don't think you should get a loser point for losing in overtime. You lose, you lose. Right, my personal opinion. If you're going to give three points out for overtime, why are you giving three points out for a win? Why are you adding points into the game? If like, for instance, right now in the regular in a regular time, you get two points for the win, but in overtime, you're 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 getting some. There's three points to give out. Why can't we have that third point? It would make the regulation win. It make the standings farther apart, and it would de. I mean, I guess you could look at it as devaluing the the lost point and and the overtime, but it, you're still rewarding someone for losing. No other league does this. No other league. Well, it's, it's done in soccer, but kind of different. I, I like the way soccer does it. You make it to overtime. Well, it's not quite like soccer, but if you make it to overtime, you've earned a point. Right. 
but I think each game should be worth three points. If you win it if full out in regulation, here's three points. You, you don't win in regulation, well, now those three points are divvied up between the two teams. And I have no issue that soccer, however, you don't get, you don't lose either. It's no, tie. that's true. That's true. Right? So uh, the only people losing are the fans watching it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I agree with you, Blaine. And that's what I'm trying to say. If you're going to give three points in overtime, then give three points regardless of if it's overtime or regulation. If you win yeah. the game in regulation, you get three points. If you win in overtime, you get to, you get the two points for the win and the loser team gets the one point or what if you did, what, sorry, what if you took, what, you might just, this might actually, but what you're saying, why don't you just get rid of the loser point altogether? You give three for regulation, two for a sh- two for an overtime win, and then one for a shootout win. And that's exactly what I, I right? was getting yeah. into. So but, then it gets, it gets rid of the loser point altogether, but where you beat your competition this is the least amount of points you're going to get. My one's a little different is you get three for the win or say you don't want to give them three, give them two for the win in regulation. Two for an overtime win with no loser point, and then the team only gets the lo- you get the loser point in the shootout. So yes, you're adding a point like they do now, but you know at least and you make overtime ten minutes instead of fucking five. Five minutes for a three on three overtime, I think is silly. And keep you it three on three. three on and keep and keep it three on three. Or go to five on no. five or four on four. Make, or... Keep it three on three. Just make it ten no. minutes. No. Yeah. If you're gonna do, I, if you're gonna make a change like that, get rid of that that gimmicky three on three crap. Sure. Well, I, I don't care what you do with it. I just think 10 minutes, three on three, you're never going to a shootout. That's all. No. Well, they went and with I the th- three. I hate shootout. Shootout. You're turning a team game into an individual sport. Yes. Yeah. But they brought the, they brought in the three on three and the shootout for like a skills showcase. They want to sell the game South of the border up here in Canada. We don't need that, uh, that, that extra sell to get us to watch these games. We'll sit down and watch any team play hockey. It's part of our DNA. But down in the U.S., it's a niche sport. So they're trying to, they're trying to grow it. So I understand why they're doing it. But if we want to get, if we want to, um, get around the extra point being handed out for a loss in overtime or a shootout, I think the three-point system is probably the best way to go because then it rewards you for winning in regulation as opposed to, well, a win's a win. It's still two points, no matter what happens. And the other team just claws their way to an extra point. So I, I think that would probably be the best way to go. I mean, cause if you look at Montreal now, they're, they're the three least amount of regulation losses in the, in the entire league yep. with only eight, but they have nine <laughs> overtime losses. So they have more, it's almost like the 77, uh, Canadians who had like eight losses and 12 ties or something like that. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't know. I just think points wise, you're kind of, yeah, you're getting two points, but you're kind of giving one point to a team that probably doesn't deserve one point. You lose the game, you lose the game. That's the way I look yeah. at it. Sometimes it's, it's true. The, um, the team that gets that point should never get a point. They just, they lucked into it. And sometimes the team that just gets that one point should have won that game. So it kind of evens out karmically. Um, so, I mean, I'm not against the extra point just for making it there, but I think that the team that wins in regulation shouldn't, should get more points. And right. that would, we would see a bigger, a more representative view of the standings if that were to happen. Regulation overtime regulation wins would be more important, a more important yeah. stat than yeah. say what they are now. Um, because you know, if that was the case, Montreal wouldn't even be in a playoff spot right now. There'd be a lot of teams. Every if you look back over the last few years, there'd be a lot of teams that would be missing out on the playoffs just based on that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. So am I. It just shows that your team's and it shows how well you're going to do in, say, the playoffs because five on five or regulation type style play, you're a dominant team. Whereas other teams are getting lucky because they're like, oh, look, we're winning in overtime. But yeah, because right now, uh, regulation wins versus overtime wins, there's um, that regulation win number. That's a tiebreaker yeah. at the, t- you know, for the standings. So keep it keep that but make it an extra point in the standings 
it would be a little bit more indicative of the actual reality of the league. So, uh, yeah. Um, speaking of reality, it's spring break. Why are we arguing? Remember, it's COVID spring break, and it's right around the corner. And you know what that means. Spring break in your pants. Manscaped is here to ensure that the party in your pants never stops. Even Veronica Corningstone wouldn't say no to this pants party. For everyone preparing for a pants party this spring break, I have an exclusive 20% discount. Use code UNFILTER20 at manscaped.com. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower, 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest or ball shave. The third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Don't ruin any vibes this spring break or upcoming summer with some peaking pubes coming out of your swimsuit. Be sure to use the Crop Cleanser Body Wash to keep your hair and skin feel healthy and fresh. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant and Moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. Because that's what we do. We party all day in our bathing suits. You'll find the Crop Reviver, Ball Toner, a spray-on testy toner that's designed to give your boys a little slice of heaven. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Reduced Chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code UNFILTERED20. Say aloha to your new, new beautiful balls with Manscaped. <sighs> spring break. Time to say COVID spring break. I just think of Florida and what a disaster it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of Florida man all the time. Oh, that guy with the flag on top of that. Did you see that? N- no, some but guy with a flag on paint it like the Joker from the the walking uh, phoenix movie and he's raving the flag saying covid's over sure I'm thinking all those people that are going to get covid <laughs> they all are they all are now um, moving on to something a little bit lighter matt you had uh you you brought up a good point it's the mid it's the midpoint of the season and you've got a little bit of a list of who who you feel is an MVP, who is a disappointment, and what might be the biggest story so far this year. So, Matt, you uh, you gave birth to this beautiful idea, so you can go first. Well, I'll, we'll do one. We can do one at a time. We can do one yeah, at a time. We'll do MVP um, first. All right. So for right now, um, I think it's pretty easy to see that. Uh, I'd say Jeff Petrie's been their best player. He's been their most consistent. He's the most reliable defenseman right now that they have. They play him in all situations, power play, PK. He's the really the only um, consistent defenseman that they use during three on three. Uh, you know, he's got 11 goals, 27 points. Uh, he's doing everything right. And he should be in contention for the Norris, in my opinion, right now. Um, yeah, that's, that would be my pick. Craig. Uh, yeah, I'd have to go with Jeff Petrie as well. Um, I also kind of want to say Tyler DeFoley, but I'll, I'll go with Petrie just because he is, He's having an outstanding year, like uh, on both sides of the blue, on both sides of the ice. Uh, we all know Petrie has his Ray Bork times and his Phil Bork times, but uh, <laughs> um, I mean, he's playing good hockey. He's scoring when the Habs need him to score. He, he's making the plays when they need him to make the plays, and I think that's what makes him the MVP. So I'll, I'm going to agree with Matt and say uh, Jeff Petrie. It's hard to argue against uh, Jeff Petrie. The only other yeah. person I can possibly think of challenging Jeff Petrie is equipment manager Piaget Alvet. 3,000 games, buddy. 3,000 games. Other than that, uh, yeah, 
hands down Petrie. I mean, sure, Toffoli's, uh, he's sitting third in the NHL in goals, which is impressive considering, you know, uh, that's a great offseason acquisition. But Petrie plays in all situations. Petrie plays a ton of minutes. He's facing the top opposition all the time. He's he's setting off the, the transition game that Toffoli can benefit off of. And while I think Toffoli should be in the conversation for for an MVP for the team so far this year, I think Jeff Petrie edges him out. And Matt, I agree with you. I think he's in the conversation for the Norris. I don't think he's going to win it. He should be. He should be. Right now, I'd say he's top three. I would say he'd be a finalist. uh, But for me, Hedman's probably going to be hands down the winner. More likely. Yeah. But to be a finalist. Even in the conversation, I don't know. What's that? Why Drew Doughty's even in the conversation? I don't know. Well, I didn't bring him up, but (laughs) since you did. (laughs) Uh, He should always be in the conversation because it's Drew freaking Doughty. That's why. Okay, man. Okay, man. Crush. uh, Yes. Yes. I'm going to admit. At least as long as I don't put Quinn Hughes in there, I'm good to go. (laughs) Quinn Hughes is great offensively. He's an offenseman. But defensively, he's a he's a nightmare. Same thing as if they put Tyson Berry in there. Eric Carlson won this won the Norris Trophy, and do we really think he's any good defensively? Absolutely no. not. So, I don't even remember the last time I heard about Eric Carlson. Just the last the time day, he won the Norris. Yeah, um, yeah. So I still think Norris votes should go to guys who actually play some defense. It's yeah. great you're putting up points, but you should be back in your own end as well, being responsible. And yeah. Petrie's able to do both. 100%. Uh, and if you, uh, and I did a little breakdown when I was doing, uh, doing player grades for recruits.ca, go check them out. Um, Petrie is actually on pace in an 82 game season right now for 78 points. That's his pace. His, his career high is 46. So he's almost doubled that point output wise his minutes are at the at the higher end of what he normally has and he is facing top opposition he is the montreal canadiens number 1 defenseman and he's producing so yeah definitely mvp so the next topic from matt's beautiful mind is who is the biggest disappointment uh, i think i think we'll give this one to treg to kick it off sure shay weber Jay Weber okay. is the biggest disappointment for the Montreal Canadiens right now. Only, yeah, no, it's, it's not only, it's his play is just not, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know. We've talked about this before. I think his minutes need to be reduced, maybe have a game off or two. Um, but he is just struggling. And the more games that go on, although he had a pretty good game last night, uh, I, I will say he played fairly well last night with Edmondson. Uh, but, I mean, if you have to bring in a person to fix him, he should be the guy that no matter who you pair with should be all right. And, and it's not that case. He's just not, he's just not, he's not hitting. He's not, uh, he's just not playing like Shea Weber plays. And I think he's been the biggest disappointment for Canadian so far this year. Matt? I'm going to go with Lekkanen. I, I, I've always been a Lekkanen fan. I think he's, uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, He's very good defensively. He gets on the forecheck, et cetera. And whatever he's doing at practice, whatever he's doing that the coaching staff isn't, isn't liking, I don't know, but uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit more time on the ice. Like it's just, this year has been such a, uh, an off year for him. He scored twice. Both, both of them have been shorthanded goals. Um, Then you look at a guy like Byron, who you could throw in the conversation for this as well put on the taxi squad multiple times, mostly due to, due to, uh, due to the cap. But even then he hasn't really came out and he's only had a game or two that he's been noticeable in the 30 that he's played. So um, for me, it'd be Lekkanen. I, 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 I'm hoping to see a little bit more out of him. Well, I think Lekkanen played an excellent game last night. Uh, he looked very, very good on Kotkaniemi's wing. Now I'm going to give a lot of credit to Kotkaniemi on that as well. Um, Lekin coming back in after sitting for so long, you would think there'd be some rust to shake out, but Kakanyemi, to his credit, helped push the pace a little bit. And I think that really got Lekin's legs 
moving. And that's, that eventually paid off further down the line as that line, the finish line actually looked pretty good, despite the fact that Armia was dragging them down like an anchor. So I'll give some credit to Lekin in there. Um, And I think if he keeps up that level of play, he won't be much of a disappointment the rest of the way. Um, And you mentioned, go ahead. I was just going to say Armia could be in that disappointing player because he's, I think he only had really two good games, the four point game in Winnipeg. And other than that, he's just, it's a liability on every line he gets put on. Yeah. And that's that he was the one I was going to name is Armia because in the Mm. entire, he played 23 games so far this season in those 23 games, he's only gotten points in five of them. So he has been basically invisible in the majority of the games that he's played in. And it's not because he's not putting up points. Armia's game is not necessarily about putting up points. They're, they're a byproduct of how he plays. But with him, his style of play is to be the guy to win the board battle, gain possession, and hold on, uh, keep that possession going, play the cycle game, keep keep the puck down at the other end. We're, now he's just a little bit behind the play. He seems He seems like he's playing in a fog. He's not as fast as he normally has been. Uh, you could say that the the concussion that he suffered from the Myers hit could be the cause of this, but he was doing this before he got hit. He was doing this all season long. He, he's been hit and miss. I don't think the way he's been playing, he's going to be staying in Montreal, especially with the wingers that are going to be coming up and the cap that's required to pay these guys. So guys like Yalonen and Caulfield are going to be moving up soon. And the, that third line wing uh, that especially on the right wing, because they're both right wingers, that spot's going to be needed to let one of them out. And I don't think Armia is going to be able to fill that. So it's to me, he's a disappointment because he's basically playing himself off the team. So, but that's just my two cents. I may be wrong. What do I know? Like if we would have done this topic, couple weeks ago i think it would have been to know across the board but lately lately he's he's kind of woke up a little bit and he's uh he's uh he's found a little bit more offense in his game see even when Deneau was playing poorly according you know when he wasn't putting up any points he was still a, a possession magnet he he still had a coursey above 55 close to 60 even when he was playing poorly in air quotes um he just wasn't putting up, he wasn't scoring. Uh, and he's, he got that first goal and you can see a big, a big leap in his confidence and the way he plays. He's, he's a lot more effective. Uh, even in his slump, it was, he was still, still good ish. According, but... according to puck money or money puck or whatever you call that website. Um, his line of a Gallagher, him and a tire lead the league in, in possession percentage. Yep. And it's been the top, at least the top three in the entire season. So, yes, Deneau's having a down year. Uh, yes, he's not as good. He wasn't as good defensively or offensively or anything like that as he has been in years past. But him on that line with the other two, we're still making that line one of the better lines, five on five in the league. Which is a necessity for this team. They desperately need Deneau to be a two-way center for them because he's the only center with any real NHL experience. The rest put together don't even add up to his years of service as a center in the NHL. So he's a linchpin for the Canadians. Now, the way he's played this year, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen come next year. Are they going to be able to retain him? Will they pay him what he, what he feels he's worth? Or, you know, like there's so many questions because he played, well below his standard, despite having good underlying numbers with the advanced stats, that at the end of the day normally doesn't translate to the big money. So is he out for a big money? Is he out? Uh, does he want to stay in Montreal? Can he accept the role that he's going to face that come next year? Because Tatar is likely going to be gone. Uh, will he be playing with Gallagher next year? It's tough to say. Is he going to be a third line center by then? Maybe. So is he willing to accept that? 
to stay in Montreal. So all of that, that's another topic for another day. I think the next, uh, the next part of Matt's brain baby is what is the biggest story so far this season? And uh, I'll go back to you, Matt, to kick that off. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll stay player player based. And uh, for me, it's the, uh, the acquisition and the usage of Corey Perry. Uh, they were, they brought him in 35 year old guy, veteran player. He's won awards around the league. He's won cups, et cetera. Um, this is a, a, you know, a veteran guy that many of us looked at and said, okay, it's going to be a taxi squad guy. We'll use him as we need him." And that's how he started. And then he hit, he got into the lineup and he's really, he's really stepped up. He scored some big goals and he's given the, uh, the power play an actual net front front presence. And that's not a, that's not a knock on Gallagher at all because the guy's a warrior every time he's on the ice, but this is, gives a net front presence with a little bit of size and a little bit, he knows what he's doing. He knows what his role is. And, um, and we've seen the, uh, the power play, especially under Burroughs, flourish and uh, Perry's been a really big uh, reason for it scored a nice uh, backhander the other night that uh, helped lead to a win and uh, he's quietly been putting up points he's got a dozen in 24 games he hasn't been a liability and I think he's going to uh, do good things for this team for the short time he's going to be here definitely been a good uh, definitely been a, a good last minute signing by Mark Bergman Greg I'm going to go with the fact that Montreal has only eight regulation losses and they're either going to fall out of a playoff spot or finish second in the division. <laughs> like they are within what they, they're within five points of second, actually within five points of first uh, and they're within four points of fifth. So just the fact that the overtime will be brought it up earlier has been a huge factor on Montreal's placing so far half of those half of those overtime wins so they have 10 they, if they would have won five of them they'd be in first place in the division right now so that that's I think is the biggest story uh of the season so far for Montreal they're not bad but they're not showing how good they really are based on where they are in the standings true and keeping in mind that this whole time it's been what's most people have been calling a so-called slump and despite that slump they're still in a playoff spot they're still within striking distance that's how tight this division is yeah. and that's how big those those loser points were um there's there's slump they dropped one point one position in the standings with games in hand so yeah i mean yes games in hand you got to win them but uh they're there they're there yeah um okay so for me uh, my biggest story so far in this uh, half season has been the firing of Stefan Waite. It was a bit of a surprise to Pry- Carey Price included, uh, despite what some people may think. No, Carey Price did not, does not uh, run the Montreal Canadiens as a marionette. They're not his puppet. They don't do his bidding. He is simply a player on a team. Lies. Yeah. Um, he was clearly unaware that Stefan Waite was going to be fired. And then when he was, I think that shocked him, shocked him because he was at about an 880 save percentage for the first little while. Then when uh, when the news came out that Price needs a little bit of a break to work uh, to work one on one with Stefan Waite, when he came back, he his numbers went up marginally to about an 890. But uh, since the firing, Price, except for the last two games where his save percentages have been pretty low. Uh, he's been, he's been pitching nine thirty games and it's actually brought his save percentage to about a nine Oh five. So he's trending in the right direction. He's actually playing well for the most part. I mean, we talked about t- uh, last night's game and, and I, even I admit that, yeah, I wanted to see more from price, but at the end of the day, he stepped up when it counted and got the win. So that's the carry price we want to see. And I think that the firing of Stefan Waite is the big news because it, it kind of shocked the system and showed that everybody, is, their jobs are all on the line. There's a lot riding on this season. And uh, 
I do, I do feel that the next one to lose a job, if they don't make the playoffs, will be the GM. Just to add on to your price statistics, only because I just literally wrote an article on this. Uh, <laughs> he was 889, so you're right around 890 at the time yeah. of the firing. Uh, and in the five games after the firing, he had a save percentage of 952 um, going into the last two games. And it raised his uh, save percentage up to 907, and then the last two games it dropped down to 903. So, well, I mean, last night's game was like a 778, so that's yeah. going to make it drop a lot. So, but he got the W. Correct. Anyway, I just, I just, I'm yep. plugging my art. I'm, pl- I'm using this to plug my article that I just wrote about how the Canadians live or die based on how well Price plays. So, everyone, if you're listening or watching, go check that out. Click on that article multiple times so that Treg can afford to pay for that reverse retro jersey that he just bought. Yeah. That my wife doesn't know about yet. <laughs> oh, she does. I texted her. Oh, no, she she does. She, she mentioned yeah. something about it this morning. Very loudly. Yeah. While throwing things. Yeah. And then apparently we're going to Lululemon later. <laughs> Is that for you or for her? Wow. Well, I don't know. I, I, I like Lululemon stuff, so we'll see. I mean, when I, I when I take my wife to Lululemon to buy her clothes, it's kind of for me. Well, hey, we get a guy, we get a nice uh, military gets a nice discount at Lululemon, so I'm yes. not going to complain. <laughs> All right, so uh, we covered that part. Uh, the next segment we're going to cover is the Edmonton series. So the Canadians are going to be facing off against Edmonton three times next week, all at home. Um, and you mentioned Edmonton, who are the second place team right now. They're five points up on the Canadians, and the Canadians have some games in hand. So this this series, a three game set, if the Canadians can somehow pull out, uh, say a two zero one record, um, they would be in the driver's seat come the end of this week as a second place team, third place, second place, they would definitely be able to create more of a gap between them and the Canucks and the Flames, kind of cementing their place in the playoffs. So what are you, what are you guys expecting to see from the Oilers? And what do you think may be a key, like one key to winning this series? Uh, Treg, I'll start with you. Uh I think the Oilers are going to play the game they're playing. They're going to rely heavily on Dreisaitl and McDavid in their top two lines. Um, Mike Smith has been playing very well for them uh, so far. And I think the key is going to come down to goaltending. I just think if, if Montreal if Montreal goaltending can stop more pucks than Edmonton's goaltending, which sounds cliche because that's how you win games. But, uh, no, seriously, uh, Mike Smith's playing, having a comeback year. He's playing well for Edmonton. He's one of the big reasons that they're in this position they are. He's something like 11-3. and three. Um, and uh, But uh, if Montreal can uh, beat him and they can curb McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, which they did in the first two games they played because they're two and one against Edmonton. Uh, then I, I can see Montreal getting at least, I would like to see them get at least four points out of this series. Uh, so if they do that, then I'm pretty, I, I think this next six game segment is going to make or break their playoffs. So I'm getting into farther than Edmonton, but in this Edmonton series, I pretty, if they get four points out of this Edmonton series, I think we can breathe a little relief and a little sigh and know that they're 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 going to be there because they still have the three games in hand or four games in hand on Edmonton even after the series. So if they can keep pace, get four points, that means Edmonton only got uh, two points. So go from there. Matt, right now Edmonton's played three more games than Montreal, as uh, Trey said, um, and they've been they've been playing some good hockey. And as as uh, Trey alluded to, Mike Smith's been playing very well and kind of been rejuvenated and um it's given the it's definitely given them the boost at the at the time that they need it um my strategy would be like any other team strategy try to try try your best to shut down um Connor mcdavid and dry style but they're both just out of this world um hockey talents uh mcdavid's got 50 58 points this year and he's not just 
looking like a playmaker anymore. He's starting to shoot the puck a hell of a lot more, and he's he's becoming even less predictable when the puck's on his stick, which is a scary thought. Um, Depth-wise, I think the Canadians have uh, have Edmonton beat. It's going to really come down to uh, discipline in my in my eyes. If uh, if they continue to take stupid penalties and they don't move their feet and they and they take hooking and holding and interference penalties and everything against Edmonton, Edmonton's got the uh, they, they got the talent. If you got a if you have a uh, a power play unit that can put out McDavid, Drysdale, and Nugent Hopkins. And then whoever else you want on another, if they if they play four forwards, and then you give an offensive-minded defenseman like Barry out there, you know chances are the puck's probably going to end up in the net. So I, I'd say it's going to come down to discipline, discipline, and and and, and goaltending as well. Yeah, McDavid's on pace for ninety-nine points in the fifty-six games. It's, it's, it's insane. It's a hundred and forty-five point pace over eighty-two, which would be the yeah. most in. 15, many many years, years yeah. maybe. So, yeah, he is definitely at another level. He's de- he's in, in my view, the, he's going to win the heart. He is oh, the one absolutely. that should win the heart. Matthews, absolutely. man, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no. Matthews already won it. They, they've already delivered it to him. Oh, that yeah, of course, Toronto. <laughs> um, no, but my view, it's it's McDavid, um, and TSN should be happy with that because he's from Toronto, so that should count for something. He's going to right? be playing for the Leafs eventually. Oh, they like, always do. McDavid's only a goal off of the league leader right now. That's right. The so, MVP, the real MVP, Matt. Uh-huh. <laughs> but back to this series with the Canadians playing Edmonton three games. Um, yeah, it's it's a. I agree. It's a key turning point. The Canadians are just now starting to find their way out of that uh, that slump that they were in, and they're starting to play a little bit better. They're still. Um, they're still inconsistent during the game. We saw we saw it in the last game. The Canadians mm-hmm. dominated the first and then disappeared for a few minutes in the second and gave up a bunch of goals. And they did it in the third. And then they they would take over again. So they have to find a way to start and start a period focused and stay focused the entire time. Uh, we've seen a decrease in the number of stupid penalties, the lack of discipline penalties. So that that bodes well if they can keep that going um and this is where deno and his uh his improved confidence is going to pay off they need him to shut down the mcdavid line there's no ifs ands or buts one of those two top six lines have to get shut down hard um if they can do that and they can find the secondary scoring um guys like kakanemi's line uh stepping up if Toffoli can come back from whatever lower body body injury he's suffering from and line up and, and play Anderson to me is going to be a key player in this whole thing. They need their, they need their power forward to play that North South fast, heavy game to offset Cassian who seems to play extremely well against the Canadians. He's been fairly invisible, especially in that last series against Winnipeg. So I would assume that he's going to show up ready to ready for to bear, and in a top six role, if they can keep Cassian at bay, and Cassian's the key to the puck retrieval and a game plan to get the pucks out to either McDavid or Drysidel, depending on which line he he lines up on, he's been on both. If they can find a way to shut him down, you get a way to keep the puck away from those big name centers. So I think that's that's one of those little subtle uh, st- strategic jobs that the Canadians have to figure out. Um, and, and get some more bodies in front of the net. They're getting a lot of shots from from the slot, but they have to find a way to get into Mike Smith's kitchen and get them really riled up because once you get into his head, Mike Smith disappears he'll flop he'll fall he'll fake injuries just to get a penalty and those tend to backfire for him so that's what the canadians are going to need to do if they want to get their two point their two points per game i'm hoping for six if they get six they're definitely in a driver's seat if they can get four or five i think i think a four points out of the three games would be 
a successful homestand against Edmonton. So, yeah, awkward silence. Mic drop moment, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I, I nodded. I nodded. I, yeah. I was in agreement. <laughs> yeah, for those who are not watching, he was nodding. Um, so I think that pretty much covers everything we were going to cover. Uh, was there any surprise things you wanted to throw out there, guys, that you wanted to get off I, your I, chest? I, I do. I got something. Nothing to get off my chest, but I just want to say uh, congratulations to Brett Pettet. Patet, I think I said her last name right. Uh, she's from Kentville, Nova Scotia. She's the captain of the women's Badger hockey team at Wisconsin, and they just won the 2020 NCAA Women's Championship. So big congratulations to her and to the uh, uh, women's Badger team. Making all Blue Nosers proud. Yeah, that's that's great news. I, I watched some. I watched that uh, that overtime goal that they got. That was that was skill bouncing it off the defender and in to get that two, one overtime win for the national championship. That's, that's great news. And uh, for our listeners who are big Habs fans, which I'm sure most of you are uh, Sunday is, is when we're recording that's today. Uh, the news should be coming out on who is going to be filling in the NCAA uh, men's tournament. There's uh, the teams that did not win their conferences. They're going to be chosen to fill out the, the NCAA championship tournament. Uh, the Badgers with Cole Caulfield are more than likely a lock. And Northeastern is the other team that we're going to be watching because of uh, Jordan Harris. They're likely not in. So by the end of today, we're going to know for sure if Harris's Northeastern University team are eliminated. And if they are, the, the watch on him signing with the Canadians will be on. So keep an eye out on that. That's going to be the big news uh, over the next day or so. I expect him to sign, and when he does, take his 14-day quarantine and go to Laval. So, That's a good point, too, Blaine, because a lot of people are saying, why hasn't he signed yet? Well, Northwestern doesn't know if they're in the tournament yet or not. So officially, yeah. that's uh, right. they're pretty sure they're not, but it's not official. So I think that's part of why he hasn't signed yet, because they're just waiting to make sure that's official. Exactly. Once they're officially eliminated, then I would start my clock yeah. for the countdown and the big parade. COVID safe, of course. So uh, I think that does it for our show. I'd like to thank everyone who is listening. Uh, keep, <laughs> tell your friends, you know, bring, bring them on out. We can have listen parties. Um, if you, uh, if you were looking to get the latest not a book written by Terry Ryan, Fights, Films, and Folklore, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch us and look at Matt's beautiful face and his beautiful mind at work. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and your your name will be in for a draw to win Fights, Film, and Folklore by Terry Ryan. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. <laughs>
Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.